Hi, I'm Chelsea Neumeyer and I'm a time management and productivity coach. My goal is to help you go from overwhelmed to under control without a strict schedule or a bunch of productivity hacks. Each week, we'll talk about productivity mindset, actionable advice, my favorite resources, and you'll hear from guests just like you who are maximizing their limited resources. If you're anything like me, you're listening to this on the go, so check out the show notes and follow me on Instagram to learn more. Okay, let's start the episode. everyone. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Rob Kuchak. He is a thrill seeker, self-professed nerd, question asker, a curious reader, competitor, keynote speaker, and business builder. He thinks there's always something to be learned from everyone and lets his curiosity guide conversations. In his spare time, Rob likes to do CrossFit, better himself through reading, travel, and spend time with his wife, Nikki. Rob is an expert in all things technology and time management and productivity, so I think this is going to be such an exciting conversation for our listeners, and I feel like I'm going to learn so much and walk away with some really great skills to have, so thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Chelsea. I'm really grateful to be here and happy to chat with everyone about technology mindfulness, absolutely. Perfect. So I know I just read your bio, but I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what inspired you to start your business. Yeah, I kind of say that I have career ADD, so things sort of emanate from that. But I started my career in finance and I was a sell-side equity analyst, so I analyzed medical device and pharmaceutical companies. So that kind of gave me a background in business and finance and understanding the public markets and how to ask good questions about things. But I just didn't feel like I was helping people enough directly in that profession. And so while I was at this 60-hour week day job, I started my first business, which was an anytime fitness health club, because I really love health and fitness. And I, you know, did those two for about a year and a half, which is really a difficult time. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was challenging, but I was what needed to happen. <laughs> and then once the once my gym was successful enough where I, it could, you know, cover my living expenses, I quit my day job and then I decided to travel around the world for a while. So I ended up backpacking through Europe. I went to Europe, South America, and Central America, and then I came back to the United States. And then I ended up opening up or buying, excuse me, two more Anytime Fitness Health Clubs. And uh, then I uh, also really have an interest in technology. I love technology. I'm a big nerd. I built my first computer in middle school. And so I really thought that opening up some you break i fix stores would be a good a good next step for me in my entrepreneurial journey so i opened up four of those you break i fix stores and then i it was then that i realized that humans you know may have had a i guess a problem with technology or that technology was not all good for us humans anymore i and then after those self owned repair stores i ended up doing a tech startup to help small businesses and then most recently i'm really excited i so i sold all those other eight businesses And my current company is called Humans First, and our mission is to help humanity understand how technology impacts mental health, relationships, and productivity at work. And I kind of call that entire area of study that Humans First encapsulates technology mindfulness. Oh, that's so good. That's an amazing trajectory. I love that. I love hearing these entrepreneurial stories because I think it's so scary when you first start thinking that that's what you have to commit to forever. And so it's always so exciting to hear when people can change directions and change their mind and eventually land in something that's really exciting that they love for now, right? I mean, who knows who knows what's going to be next, but for right now, this is a really cool thing that you're doing. Yeah, well, I have quite a few business, quite a few <laughs> business ideas that I'm laughing because my wife always tells me, she's like, 
you know, you really do have a lot of ideas, but the only idea that you've always come back to since I've known you, which has been three and a half years, has been technology mindfulness. And so I really believe that this is this is not just a career for me. This is like a calling. Like this is what I've been put on this earth to do is to help people with this. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, well, let's get into this a little bit more. And you started to, to mention what technology mindfulness is, but I'd love for you to define it or go a little deeper than what that is for everyone. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways to define it. And this is just my definition, right? Like I, you know, there, this is not like a, a, a term commonly used, but I sure. define technology mindfulness as becoming aware of how technology impacts you and makes your, and potentially using it to make your life easier instead of harder. Okay. And so, you know, I can maybe give you an example, right? That might kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. So let's pretend that it's, it's 10 o'clock Chelsea and you're getting ready to go to bed. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, and I've done this so many times myself, you say to yourself, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to check my email one more time before I go to bed. Right. Just this one more time. You know, I've done this how many times, right? So you check your email and you get a bo- you get an email from your boss and the email says something not very flattering about you and it pisses you off, right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's 10 p.m. You just read this email and you're just really ticked off. And so what happens? Well, first of all, you're probably not going to respond to this email because that would tell your boss that you're checking your email at 10 o'clock and that you're available and you don't really want to give that signal to your boss, right? So you're probably not going to respond. But then because you don't respond, this issue isn't really resolved in your head. And so you become probably or you continue to be really upset about it, right? And so what happens is your fight or flight system that keeps you alive when there's a threat gets activated. It's your sympathetic nervous system. This fight or flight system is activated, and this does a bunch of things. It releases adrenaline and cortisol, and there's a lot of other things that happen that I don't want to get too much into, but the other main things that are uh, as a result of this fight or flight system being activated are that you probably go to sleep way later than you expected, Mm -hmm. and your sleep quality is probably way worse, right? And so there's just by doing this one simple thing, checking your email, something that you probably do, you know, sometimes hundreds of times a day, you don't even think about it. But that one email that you checked could potentially completely negatively impact your entire next day because it ruins your entire night of sleep. And so that's just like a very simple example of one, you know, a way that I'm trying to get people to be aware that technology potentially, you know, in that instance, probably isn't, they're probably not, it's not serving you most likely to check your email before bed. Yet there's millions of people across the country that do this every single day right before bed. Millions. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of us get into bed with our phone, right? I think that's, that's, I mean, that's, I know that's a bad habit of mine. Sometimes I've been switching to my candle, which is still a light in my face. So so yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. Would you mind if I share something that my wife and I did to kind of, because oh, I, I, I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Help. <laughs> well, the, honestly, and this is probably the area of technology mindfulness that's still the most difficult for me is detaching from technology later at night. Mm-hmm. But I really have made an effort even in the last couple of months to change a bunch of things. And I really think it has made a difference in, in terms of my ability to fall asleep more easily. And one of the things that we did, and again, like this takes a very slight amount of effort. It's not really that hard. But I went on Amazon and I bought a traditional alarm clock, a regular alarm Mm -hmm. clock. And so my wife and I put that in our bedroom. And now that I have the regular alarm clock, I don't have to have my phone as an alarm clock. And so I charge it in the opposite side of the house. Like it's not even remotely close to my bedroom. It's not even in the room. 
And that has for sure helped me not, you know, be on it because I can't be physically mm-hmm. right before bed. Yeah, that's so good. Actually, it reminded me that 2021, I think it was actually a New Year's resolution for me to not sleep with my phone in the bedroom. Oh. I think it was about like 80% successful with that. Wow. Um, same thing. I bought a regular alarm clock and there was, there was exceptions. Things happened. And if I was traveling, you know, it wasn't, so it wasn't right. perfect, but I mean, I'm sure if I look back, my screen time is significantly lower. Yeah. Well, what do you, so what's keeping you from doing that again, Chelsea? Great question. And my only excuse, which is actually not a very good one, is my husband alternates days and nights. And so sometimes if he's on nights, then I don't know, it just feels more comforting to have the phone next to me. But that's a poor excuse, especially when he's on dates. But would you mind if I ask you a question about that? Sure. So if there's like, what do you, what do you think that your husband, like, what's the reason that you really need to have the phone if he's on nights? If something were to happen in the house and then you need to call him quickly, he's in law enforcement. So there's emergencies that he faces, situations he could get in. So it's more just being accessible. Sure. But I mean, let's pretend you put your, you can like configure your phone so that it could ring no matter what mode it's in, even if it's in sleep mode, if he called like out loud, it would ring out loud and wake you up. So do you think then that even if you, you know, set it up that way and they called you and the phone rang in the other room, you'd still probably hear it? For sure. Even if I, I mean, I could leave it in the bathroom and that would sure. absolutely wake me up and not be next to my bed. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's other compromises that you could make that would still accomplish the goal, but still allow you to hear your husband if there's some sort of real emergency. Yeah, that's very, very true. Is that an example of what you do with your clients? Exactly. Well, it's interesting, right? Like I had this other client and she was like, well, I I have to keep my phone on me all the time because I have kids and they go to daycare. And if there's a problem with daycare, then I need to know, right? I'm like, totally get that, right? I mean, my wife and I are pregnant. We don't have kids yet, but I get that you know, if there's some emergency. And I said, well, how about this? And she was like, well, I need to always be checking my text messages in case there's a problem. And I'm like, well, why couldn't you just do this? Could you just ask your babysitter to call you if there was a real problem instead of a text? And she was like, oh yeah. You know, it's kind of funny that we kind of forget that the phone is our phone, right? It's, we just assume that everything is automatically text-based all the time and that we have to do a text, but that's really not true. And so she just made that one change, right? And, and she just went to her daycare provider the next day and said, hey, would you just call if there's a true emergency? And she was like, yeah, for sure. And then she's like, oh my God, and I didn't have to have my phone next to me all the time when I was working and I could focus so much more. It was a total game changer for her. And that's really all she needed was just to ask one person in her life to communicate very slightly differently. What are some other quick recommendations that you may have to that like easy things that people just aren't thinking of that are very obvious are you have to reduce some of the distractions that technology can cause? Yeah, boom. I can I can give you a bunch. So the first one is if you have an iPhone, it's called Raise to Wake, and there's a similar feature on Android. So they both have it. It's just called something slightly different on Android, but Basically, this raise to wake feature is on by default, which means that when you move, physically move your phone, it turns on the display. Well, if you disable it, not only will it A, save battery life, but B, it won't turn on the display when you physically move it. And what that's going to do for you is not get you sucked in your phone all the time. Because, you know, when you move your phone, you're like, you know, the, the screen flashes on you like, oh, yeah, let me just check that one thing, that one notification, right? And then you get sucked into it. And so mm-hmm. when you just disable this, 
it saves battery life and it makes you use your phone less. It's like a, it's a win. It, it literally takes 10 seconds. Another thing that 85% of listeners have not done, at least statistically, is they've not adjusted the notifications on their phone. Mm -hmm. So on iPhone, if you just go into settings and the notifications, every single app has a setting where you can completely turn off all the notifications or customize them, right? And so what I've done on my phone, and this again, like, you know, then people don't have to follow this, this recommendation the way that I did it, but I've decided that the only notifications that I need on, on my phone are text messages, phone related stuff, and then travel related. So I leave those on and then everything else is disabled, everything else. And if you go in there and you'll be like, oh my God, there are so many things that I have enabled here that I really don't need. It's crazy. And I only get on average 11 or 12 notifications per day on total for the, mm -hmm. the whole day. That's about less than one an hour when I'm awake. Yeah. And so like that is a huge, so it makes me interact with my phone way less and that helps a ton. The last thing that I would say for people, and I think that this is, this really is the heart of a, lo a lot of the inefficiency that's happening today is if you're doing something on your phone and it's work or productivity related, let's say, not like watching a video, right? But like something productivity related, like checking your email or surfing the web or researching something or, you know, something like that. Generally, if you do those same things on a computer, you can do them in half the time as you can on your phone. The reason is your computer screen is way bigger. And you also have a physical keyboard, most likely. And so like you type way faster on the physical keyboard and your screen is much easier to navigate with a mouse. And so in very rough terms, think about it. If you're working, if you're doing like 10 hours of work on your phone every week, you could be doing half that or save five hours just by shifting all that work to your computer. Now, the thing that I, the people say is, well, like there's some things that I need to do on my phone or that I like to do on my phone. And I say, absolutely. I get that. Here's the thing though, is when you're using your phone, you're trading off, uh, you're trading off um, convenience for productivity. So is the phone more convenient? Absolutely. There's no question about that, but is it as productive? No, generally not. And so you have to ask yourself, do I really need the convenience of doing what I'm doing or would I rather be more productive and get twice as much done in the same amount of time? That's up to you. Yeah. Oh, those are great. I mean, they're, they're raised to wake, I'm absolutely going to change that right away because that's, that's such a good, easy thing to do that you probably don't even notice right away. Like it's not something that's going to be like, I tried switching to the black and white mode on my phone mm. and that was very cumbersome. I did not enjoy that, which I think is the point, but I couldn't <laughs> stick with it. The right, the raised to wake, I think that's a great one. And I totally agree about the notifications. That's one of the first things I tell my clients too, is to turn off the notifications on your computer. Every email that comes in, nothing needs to be dinging or flashing at you all day while you're working. No, no. And with that raise to wake, for instance, when I disabled that, that saved me almost two hours of screen time a week. And it's like, that's a quarter of a workday, you know, like that's <laughs> a lot of time. Yeah, I absolutely. I'll do that. Yeah. For the notifications, and you probably recommend it this way too, but I often will, because sometimes clients will be nervous to do that, that they're going to miss something important. Yeah. So Sometimes I'll recommend to them instead of binging it and doing it all at once and just like cold turkey, give yourself a week to see what notifications you actually need and then turn them off as you go. It's going to perhaps may take a little bit longer, but you'll be more confident and comfortable with what you're disabling. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would you mind if I explain the science of FOMO? Because oh, I really feel like this would be super helpful to people to yeah. understand. I know that you said like missing something for work, but let's just take in the context of social media FOMO, right? Because mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit easier to relate to. So, you know, if a lot of people say, well, like, I can't, I can't delete social media because I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to, I'm going to have FOMO about social things. Right. And I totally get it. I, by the way, was addicted to Facebook at one point in my life. I was also addicted to email and video games. So like I've seen these things in very, you know, in first person. It's so, like, this is a very personal topic for me. Right. But here's what happens with FOMO. So if we like, let's pretend I'm on social media and I see a group of my good friends and they're doing something and I'm not there. Right. Now this FOMO, right. I'm, and so what happens is I say to myself, oh, like, I wish I was there, you know, like, that feels bad to me that I'm not there. And I, I kind of feel like left out, right? Well, the real what here's what happens psychologically. When I see my group of friends, and I'm not there, I fear that I'm losing social capital. And social capital can be thought of as a resource that I need in order to not only be successful, but really also to survive. Think about what 50,000 years ago when we were cavemen and cavewomen, we needed social capital because if I was a lone caveman, my likelihood of surviving is way lower than if I'm with a tribe of people, right? Like humans are a very tribal species. That's not, not surprising, but I need my tribe as a survival mechanism. And so when I fear that I'm losing social capital or social connection with other people, I interpret that as a threat. And when there's a threat, what happens is my sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight system that normally would, you know, help me get amped up and fight a saber toothed tiger that gets activated. And so when I, when my fight or flight system is activated, now I'm in this hypervigilant state and, you know, my blood pressure rises, adrenaline and cortisol are released. And, you know, that's fine for a few seconds, but if I'm always in that state, and I believe that this is truly what is happening, the average person is getting activated by the fight or flight response so often throughout the day that they never, ever have a chance to fully recover. The reason I know that is our, our sympathetic nervous system takes at least, our fight or flight system takes at least 30 minutes to downregulate or recover, but the average person checks their email at when they're at work once every six minutes, and they're getting a smartphone notification once every 15 minutes. And yes. so all these different times that throughout the day we're interacting with technology, it's activating our fight or flight system, and we never have a chance to fully recover or recuperate or rest. And so this, I truly believe is the root cause of not all, but a lot of the anxiety and stress that we have as a species today. Wow. That's crazy how fast those notifications are coming in. And also just the, that constant nature of it. We're not designed to receive that much information and then be constantly thinking that we're missing something. And, and even right. that to work related, I think that absolutely makes sense to think about, oh, you're missing an email. What if it's a boss? What if it's a connection? Like sometimes it's bad, but it's also that good FOMO, right? But like, this could be the next, you know, I want to check my, my business email because it could be a new sale or a new potential right. client, right? There's, there's always that what if thought what you're describing there chelsea is it's called intermittent variable rewards it, and it's the way that slot machines work yeah. right that's that's why email is so addicting and social media right is when we check our email for instance we don't know how many new emails we have we don't know when they came in we don't know who they're from and we don't know what they're about it's all those things are variable and so when you go in it's like a little slot machine you're like oh my god i'm gonna hit the inbox <laughs> and see how many new messages i got 
And that is very motivating to people because again, it's the same way that slot machines function. And wow. so it, like, that's a very hardwired, you know, thing like humans are curious by nature. Mm-hmm. And like that, that email technology is playing into that general curiosity. It's something that's very hard to resist, even absolutely. if you know about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so good. So good. So now that we're all sufficiently aware of <laughs> the dangers, what are some of the ways that technology can make our life easier? Right? What are some of those, the good things? Yeah. I well, and I, I just want to be super clear, right? I, the way I describe my stance is, I'm not anti-technology. Right. I'm pro-humanity. Yeah. I'm pro-humanity, right? So I'm not saying technology is bad. It does amazing things. I, I I, mean, I think that technology enables us to communicate and connect with each other and, you know, has an amazing amount of processing power that we can use to, you know, process tons and tons of data and get insights and measure things that we wouldn't have been able to before. Like all those things are incredible. The way I describe it though, is I view technology as like a tool, right? And any tool can be used for something good or bad. Like let's take, for instance, a hammer. I can take a hammer and build a house that gives me shelter from the elements and keeps me alive. Or I can take a hammer and hit someone on the head. It's not the hammer in and of itself that's bad. It's the way that I use it. Mm -hmm. And I view technology as the same way. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're thinking about the different kind of uses, what's your first couple questions you may ask a client as you're working with them to help them understand what some of the challenges may be? Well, I actually have this initial client survey, Mm -hmm. like intake survey. It doesn't take long. It takes like half an hour, but there's so many different questions on there. But the ones that I look at most commonly are, it sounds crazy, but like how long before you go to bed, do you stop using screens? That's one of the main ones. Another one is, you know, how much screen time do you think you use? And then later on in the survey, I actually ask them to look at their screen time because usually there's a massive, there's a massive difference. Like people being, oh, I use my screen, I use my smartphone for one or two hours a day and they have like four hours of screen time. And it's like, well, you know, that was not the, I don't care about the actual number, but it's just interesting to me what the discrepancy yeah, is, right? Absolutely. Like, yep. and so that to me is very illuminating for people. And then another one I would say is what do you least like about technology? in general, right? And a lot of people use the phrase love or hate. Like I have a love or hate relationship with technology, which I, you know, I can for sure relate to. But the other thing that people say is it's very distracting or overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And the phrase that I kind of use is technology overload. I think we are all overloaded or there's just just so many things happening, right? There's so many things going on. So I'm trying to get a sense of how much technology overload do you experience? And what, what is that coming from? Is it from your email? Is it from the 27 messaging platforms you have? Is it because you're using your cell phone in bed uh, and, you know, not disconnecting? Like, I don't know. Uh, I have to try to get a sense of that. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when you were talking about it, the people who do so much work on their phones, because it also puts you in this place of constant work. So our boundaries have Mm. completely been blurred about what you're even doing on the the technology or your phone or your computer. It made me laugh a little bit inside because I feel like I can't work on my phone. I don't understand. Like that drives me nuts. It's too small. I need to do monitors. There's no way I can do anything on a little phone. But there's just some of like the, those boundaries that are so blurred with work and people being available, which 
kind of starts into some of that, the time management and productivity conversation too. Yeah. So you bring up a really interesting point, Chelsea, you know, as I was going to say this earlier, but I will now that I find that, you know, when people in a company think that they all like have to be continuously checking their email, right? Like I, they check it once every three minutes or something, or even every 10, right? That's still all very often in my opinion. What I find is that the true problem actually, and almost no companies that I talk to have this, is that there's not written standards of communication or written communication boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just give you a real brief example of what that might look like. And then you can kind of understand kind of what I'm talking about, right? So uh, this would just be, again, an example for, you know, to some random company. So we believe at company X that all business communications should be answered between the local hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. We generally use email for external communication, and we expect that email will be returned every 24 business hours. We use Slack for internal communication, and we expect that Slack messages will be answered within three business hours. And anything that requires more than three hours of urgency will be communicated via a Slack phone call, and we expect that those will be returned as soon as possible. So let's pretend I put all that information in a document and I talked to the management team of my company and I spoke with the employees and we all agreed upon it. And then I sent that out to them and then they all agreed to it. So now when everyone has agreed to those standards of how and when and how much we communicate, it completely changes how every single person in the company does their job. Because now instead of having to check the email once every six minutes, like I used to, I can check it once or twice a day and be totally within the compliance of the guidelines. And then I can, instead of checking my email constantly, focus on other things and set aside time to do real valuable work for my company and not check my email all the time. Yeah, that's great. When I'm working with my own clients, if they work for an organization, talking to them about setting these expectations, and I've done a few retreats to that we nice. talk through this as well, because there's two parts of it, right? There's the, there's the boundaries part when you're seeing emails from your boss and people have different work hours, right? If you're a night owl or early morning, or you're, you know, people like to work at certain times, especially if you have other things going on, but it's the expectation to respond that I think is so important to establish, mm-hmm. but then also make sure that people are responding because you not only have you set the expectation about the minimum amount of time to respond, but you set the expectation about the maximum time to respond. But you're not Mm -hmm. holding up a project because, yeah, you don't have to check your email after five, but you got to get back to me by the next day or you're going to slow the whole process down. Absolutely, absolutely, totally. So do you have any other favorite technology resources that help people maintain a level of productivity while they're working? Well, I think one of the best books on this topic that it, it doesn't entirely encapsulate everything I'm talking about, but it covers a good part of, portion of it is called Deep Work by Cal mm-hmm. Newport. Yeah. He is such an amazing author. I really like him. But I think what's interesting is, especially iPhones have so much software built into the operating system or so many features built into the operating system that you can really configure your phone and ideally your computer in ways with the existing software to really help you focus. I generally actually think that, believe it or not, I think people need less software today, not more. I generally mm-hmm. think that there's too much software. And I think that that's a huge, a huge source of the problems, right? So if you think about it, 
anytime I add another method of communicating, it doesn't linearly increase the complexity, it exponentially increases it. Mm -hmm. So when I go from four methods of communicating, there's actually 16 ways that I can communicate with those four methods. When I go to a fifth way, it now goes to 25. And so every single additional piece or software package that you add to communicate adds exponentially more complexity to your business. And I think that that's really tough, especially if you're not the owner and you're expected to like be monitoring all these methods of communication all the time. Like that's not possible for anyone to do, do that a good job of that and then do a good job of doing their job, you know? Yeah, that's such a great reminder. And I think it goes back to setting those expectations. So if you if you are working for a company and or you have employees, thinking about what that communication guideline that you that you mentioned, what that policy is gonna be, and kind of setting what what each is going to be used for, right? If there's an emergency, we use this. If it's not an emergency, we use this. Because with all of those options available, everything feels like an emergency that requires an immediate response. Right. And it absolutely gets overwhelming. Have you found this to be like a generational thing or do you see it more struggle in particular age group or industry? Yeah. So what's interesting is the data shows that the younger an employee is, the more that they use technology and the more burned out they are, the yeah. more burned out they are. Right. So like, and, and it's very paradoxical because those young people think, oh, like I'm good at technology, not that, you know, it's something to be good at or bad at, but like they get technology, you know, most, most likely better than someone older than them. So they're like, because I get technology, I'm just going to use more of it and I'm going to be okay. But what they like the real, the, I think the real heart of the problem is almost all these things that I was talking about, about like stress and the fight or flight system, that all happens subconsciously. Like you're not, you're not going there thinking to yourself, Oh my God, my fight or flight is triggered. No, I'm stressed out. You're not ever thinking that, but it's happening to you. And it's, it's happening to you all the time. Like when I worked at my day job in my early twenties as a stock analyst, I was so stressed out that I was losing my hair, but I didn't realize that at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was like a lesson to me, like, Holy crap, I was stressed out didn't realize it for, you know, years. And then it caused all these, you know, potentially negative things for me. Like, I really believe that that is happening to a lot of people today and they just don't realize it. The reason that you feel crappy and anxious all the time is because you are stressed out at your job because your, your job expects you to communicate with 27 different platforms and check your email every six minutes and then do your job, which, you know, it is impossible yeah. for any, almost anyone. Yeah, absolutely. That just makes me laugh. Look, I'm getting to the point, and I, I know some of my peers feel this way too, of like, I just can't take any more options either. Like a new app will come up and I'm saying, I'm just not interested in whatever right. this is because I don't have capacity for figuring it out or, you know, adding something else to my repertoire. It's in, yeah, it's interesting you say that, Chelsea. So I did some proprietary research. And one of the main things that I found is that owners feel like they're, employees have the ability to use their technology well, but they actually, their employees on average are highly underutilizing the technology mm -hmm. just because there's so much to learn. Like if you have, if you have 10 software packages at a company to learn and you really need to learn them all, let's say each one takes 10 hours. That's a hundred hours of training right there. That's two and a half full work weeks just on software, not on the other aspects of the job. Right. And so like, who has that extra time? No one or not any, not a lot of people. Yeah. And some of my nonprofit clients, what I'll see too, is because they're not 
they don't put that effort in. So they'll commit to a package, that, but they, they don't put the effort in to use it correctly and to maximize it. Then they don't think it works. And so then they go and get another software that either ad hocs it in some weird way, or now they have to totally start the process over and transfer everything. And I, I see that quite often with my nonprofit clients. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I was actually, I really nerd out about this so much <laughs> that I was reading this study about information overload and like the different components of it and what, you know, is overwhelming to people. And what's interesting is one of the sources of overwhelm for people is if they're using software that isn't correctly matched with what they're trying to accomplish, that can become overwhelming to people. And so for instance, if the software is, believe it or not, if it does more than you need it to do, it actually is bad because it's too overwhelming for most people. It's not easy to understand and then they just won't use it. So it's it's just a Goldilocks thing where it has to be powerful enough to do what you want, but not too powerful because then it's overwhelming and confusing. And you know, I think a lot of companies aren't necessarily, they don't even realize that or they're not getting that right. Yeah, very, very true. Oh, so good. So good. I could nerd out about this stuff as well because <laughs> it's, so, it's so applicable, right? I mean, again, regardless of whether you are still in a full-time job and you're working for someone else, or even as a business owner, you can be so easily overwhelmed by all the choices for where to host a course, what websites, the platform to use, and then is important about all of those features and functionalities and how do they communicate back with you or even silly things. Like one of my favorite services to offer is an inbox management package because people mm. just also don't know how to utilize their inbox to its capacity, which 99.9% of the time is just unsubscribe from everything to start off with. <laughs> uh -huh, um, totally. And setting up rules and filters so that you're, you're just reducing the volume coming in. Mm. Uh, it's very, very easy to kind of lose control a little bit of those, again, those notifications and the incoming information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love that. All right. So one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is to talk about time, the time management and, and scheduling of the person that I'm talking with. So I'd love to go behind the scenes a little bit and learn how you like to schedule, like what an average day or week looks like for you. Yeah. Well, I would say as an entrepreneur, there is no average week, first of <laughs> all, but here's the way that I've, and, and again, like I have, I have done hundreds of experiments over the last four years on myself to understand the things that are best for me. And just a quick story, you know, when I became a full-time entrepreneur and I didn't have my day job, I was like, oh my God, this is great. I have the <laughs> ultimate freedom. I, I don't have any obligations on my calendar. I could wake up whenever I can go to bed whenever, you know, do whatever. And so for years, actually, I would work and I felt like I was accomplishing a lot. You know, I would like do a bunch of stuff and but at the end of the day, if you would have asked me to write down what I actually accomplished that day, the list would have been very small. And so what I, I'm like, well, how is this possible? Like I've read all the productivity books, like four hour work week and getting things done and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I thought I was productive, but I actually, I really wasn't. And I thought it was, it was like kind of crazy. And so I started experimenting with a lot of scheduling stuff because another thing that you and the listeners should know is that I have ADHD. And so I'm very much more likely than the average person to get distracted or, you know, go down some rabbit hole researching printers or something for like two <laughs> hours. You know, I mean, that's cool, but that's not really earning me money right now. So I need to like be focused. And so I, here's what I've found is useful for my schedule. I have found that time blocking my schedule is insanely helpful. It mm -hmm. is really so, such a game changer. And so 
from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday, repeating forever, I have a block of time on my calendar that says GSD, which stands for get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And what I do during that time is I have a post-it note and I'll write down the top one to three things that are important for that day, whatever they are, right? And then I will write those on my post-it note and then I will do everything humanly possible to not be distracted and get those things done. And so here's what I don't do during that time. I don't, I do not check my email. I don't check my email, even though a lot of people are like, you have to check your email first thing in the day. Actually, you don't have to do anything with your email mm-hmm. in the beginning of the day. You just think that you do. I don't check my email again, because I've communicated with people that I only check it once every 24 hours, sometimes even less, unfortunately, but not when I have clients, but I don't check my email. I don't make appointments. I don't take phone calls. And I'm really just trying to protect that time with my life. And so if I do that, then if I do that and I get those top one to three things done in my post-it note, then even if the rest of my day is crappy, I still had an amazing day. Then I also build into my schedule, check email from 11 to noon. So I do put that in my schedule because I know I know that if I don't do that, I actually hate checking email. I like play a I like play the reverse email game sometimes where I like kind of see how long I can go without checking my email and see if anything bad happened. And honestly, I've went, you know, I didn't have clients during this time because I was in transitioning, but I, I I went for over a full business week without checking my email and nothing bad happened. It mm-hmm. wasn't nothing bad happened. So I check my email from 11 to noon and then from noon to 4.30, I'll do meetings or whatever, you know, calls, blah, 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 stuff like that. And, uh, or networking, whatever, you know, whatever else I'm doing. And that's, that's my day. And then after 4.30, I try to, you know, get in a workout usually around 5.30 and then I had dinner with my wife and relax. Oh, love it. That's so good. And I'm a huge fan of time blocking. I, that's what I, I work on with my clients. And I think there's so much value in, in, in time blocking, but I also love how you do it. And this is what, what I talk about too, is it's big blocks, right? We yes. don't need to get super granular about what you're doing every 30 minutes within that time. You just need that protected time on your schedule. Yeah. Have you, would you mind if I shared some statistics about flow and getting interrupted? Oh Cause I gosh, feel like I love that, please. this, this is like really the heart of like, this kind of illustrates to you why this is so powerful, right? Like with some, I love data, you know, <laughs> love gotta have the data. So when we, let's just pretend like you're at work and you're just crushing it, right? Like it's an amazing day. Everything's going incredibly well. That's a psychological state called flow. Well, what these researchers found, so Harvard Business Review did some studies on executives and managers. And what they found is that when you are in flow at work, you're up to 500% more productive than when you're not in flow. So if you can be in flow for just two hours a day, not even three, just two hours a day, you can literally, literally get more done in those two hours than you can in an entire day without flow. But here's the problem. The problem is, when you're in flow and you get interrupted, it takes a full 26 minutes to get back okay. into flow. Well, if you're checking your email once every six minutes and you get a smartphone notification once every 15 minutes, you're doing the math and saying, well, we're never in flow. And the answer is that's correct. You're not, the average person is never, ever in flow. And so by blocking off two or three or maybe even four hours and getting into flow, you can literally get more done in that amount of time than you could in, you know, sometimes date without mm-hmm. flow. It's incredible. And, you know, that to me is why I schedule three hour blocks of time, because, you know, if, if it was one hour blocks at three different times in the day, it wouldn't be nearly as effective. At least that's what I've found for myself. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's also where like things like batching can be really, really helpful too, is because you're not, you're not switching your tasks back and forth. So if you can get all of your content in all at once, for example, right, if that's what you're working on, that's going to be so much faster and more efficient than trying to break it up and do it throughout the whole week. I love it. You're speaking my language, Chelsea. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's something I work with. We talk about a lot too. It was a game changer when I started implementing it in my own life. And actually we're talking on a Tuesday, which is my big meeting day. And so I try to lump all of my meetings in one day, which is exhausting and it's a lot, but it means that tomorrow I have no meetings and I can yeah. really work on whatever I need to and, and have those big blocks of time to get mm-hmm. work done. So it's, it, I think people also need to feel more empowered about controlling their calendar and blocking off that time. So when a client said, like if a client reached out to you and said, Hey Rob, could I meet with you at nine o'clock in the morning? You're going to say no, because that's doesn't fit in your time block. Right. That's my protected time. Like I literally, I do, I, I do extreme things to protect that time, right? Like it's just so important because it's so easy to be like, oh, okay, just this one thing. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, oh, and then that's just one thing. And then like you, four of your five blocks that week are messed up. And you're like, well, now I basically have no time to do the important stuff I'm supposed to do. That's not good. And I'm not saying I, it doesn't occasionally happen for me. Like, yeah, sure. it happens once in a while, but you know, almost almost always four to five blocks, you know, blocks in the week are, are tr- true. And I, I use those, you know, they're, they're used as intended. Yeah. And have any of your clients ever broken up with you or said, well, I'm never going to talk to you again because you can't meet me at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> point, right? People always think like, well, the client really needs this. It's like, okay, well just, can you ask the client, can they do it a slightly different time? When you realize that it's not, like almost not not saying nothing, but almost nothing is a true emergency, and that people generally have flexibility, you know, a lot of the world opens up for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad you kind of followed up with that too, because it's I think again people just feel such an obligation, and they prioritize everybody else's time over their own, and it's just a really slippery slope to get well, into. Another way that I I didn't come up with this, but somebody I heard this somewhere else, I can't remember where, but it was, really was helpful. It's like. Think about, okay, what does your, in general, what does your schedule represent? It represents obligations between you and someone else. Well, if your entire work week is filled up with obligations between you and someone else, right? Like you have all these meetings scheduled. When on earth are you supposed to do the work that's for you? Like the work for your job, your position, your title, whatever it is. And the answer is you can't if your whole week, if your whole work week is obligations with you and someone else. And so it doesn't to me anymore feel like conceited or, you know, like egocentric for me to put time on there for myself. It actually like keeps me sane. And I almost view it as it's helpful for me to think of it as a form of self care, Mm -hmm. right? If I don't schedule the time for myself, I, I I know that I will be worse off. And so I view it as a, like me being, you know, having self-care for myself. Yeah. I love to talk about self-care too, because that, that time is so important and getting your work done because that's what you, I mean, you love, I don't know. I love working on my business, so I want to protect that time. Mm-hmm. So that's great to hear. All right. Well, I mean, I could, again, play nerd out about this for another, <laughs> another <laughs> hour because I love hearing your stories and all of the amazing statistics you share, but I do want to respect your time. Yeah, and of course. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and then I'll have you share where folks can get in touch with you. And I know you offer a great freebie for everyone too. So 
Um, mm -hmm. I'll let you share that. But I've been asking everybody these and it's a lot of fun. Are you a morning person or a night person? Oh, super interesting. I used to be a night person, but now I'm a morning person. What made the, that transition? Was that, was that hard? You know what? I actually like spent most of the day yesterday reading about circadian rhythms and how mm -hmm. like the humans evolved to live in the night versus day and all this other stuff related. I think what used to happen is I used to be in fight or flight more often than I thought. And I think that that affected my body's ability to get to bed at night. And so I would stay up. But now that I feel more secure and I feel more confident and I'm just really at peace with a lot of things in my life. I feel like I'm just more able to be calm at night and go to bed early. And that allows me to wake up early. Yeah. I love that book, Len. Yeah. I've not read it, but I've heard great things. Yeah. It's, it's really, really interesting. And it made me feel a little bit better about myself because it talked about like a lot of it is genetic, but you can, it changes and there are certain things that you can do to control it. I used to be such a night owl and if left to my own devices, I will absolutely stay up way later and work. But now that I live in the Caribbean, I have to get up early to work out. Otherwise, it just gets too hot. So it's forced oh. me to become a morning person. But now I love it. Now I'm mm -hmm. like I'm up. I, I get so much done before anything else happens. And so that and then I've been actually going to bed earlier too, which is an important part of waking up early. Yeah. Um, love that. That's great. Uh, but yeah, I love the book one. Everybody should check that out. All right. Paper and pen or all digital? Oh, to, oh man. I, this is very highly controversial. I take notes in a paper notebook and pen all the time. Yeah. And uh, I really think the reason that that's helpful for me is it slows down my ADHD brain and it allows me to retain way more information. Even if it's though, if you don't believe me, like all the research does show that you retain about 30% more information when you write stuff yeah. down. And so a lot of people say, well, then I can't digital, you know, like I don't have a digital copy unless you scan it with a PDF scanner. So what I do is if I have important notes that I want to send people, I'll PDF scan them. And then I have a digital copy and, an, and a, but I wrote them analog. So you kind of, I kind of use like a hybrid approach and it, to me, for me, it works really well. Yeah. I love that. And I, I used a tutor, my high school mm -hmm. students. And they all wanted to type their notes, same thing. They wanted to be able to search them and everything. I always encourage them to write it down because it's that connection is so important to remembering things. Mm. I'm the same way. Love that. All right. And what's your favorite way to relax? Chat with my wife and pet my cats. Perfect. I love that. <laughs> the cat, our cats are real snuggly. So they'll just come in. If my wife and I are sitting there talking, they'll come and want to be by each of us. So yeah, that's, I'd say like, I really enjoy that. It's great. Oh, it's so fun. All right. And this will all be in the show notes, but where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So you can check out my work, which again is related to the four day work week and the technology mindfulness. You can check me out at humansfirst.us. And then one thing I'd be happy to offer the listeners, Chelsea, is a free 30 minute technology mindfulness consultation with me. All, it's a call. All you need to do to redeem that is just email me. My email address is rob, R-O-B, at humansfirst.us. Just mention this podcast in the email, and then I'm happy to set up a three a free 30-minute call for you. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. That'd be great. And I, I mean, I feel like I got coached a little bit on this call too, so it was super helpful. <laughs> it um, was a very, very symbiotic. <laughs> I have learned a lot from you too. So awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. I encourage everyone to check you out because as, I'm, as we've talked about this whole time, we can't really escape the technology, but we have to be able to make it work and make it make sense for our lives and learn a ton. So this is really, really great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Chelsea. Really grateful for the opportunity. 
Thank you for enjoying another episode of From Overwhelmed to Under Control. I hope you're feeling one step closer to your goals. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow along on Instagram at Chelsea and Coaching. I look forward to talking to you soon.